So if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and we're going to dive into some interesting stuff over the next couple of weeks. They tell you back in Bible college, if you ever want to pack out your church, you need to preach on one of two topics. You either need to preach on sex or preach on the end times, okay? So next weekend, I'm going to preach on whether or not there will be sex in the end times, and uh, (laughs) that's funny. I'm keeping that line. That's good, okay? All right, just kidding. But we're jumping into an area that we've never gone into before here at CTK. Every year, I go through a list of foundational truths to make sure we cover the most essential elements of the gospel. I actually put my checklist in your outline so that you can walk through. Every year, we cover these topics. We talk about the fact that Jesus was and is and is to come. We make sure we talk on the eternal nature of the Trinity and God's nature in the context of eternity. We talk about the fact around Christmas time that Jesus came. We talk about the incarnation of God. We focus on his humanity and his deity. Then we always share about the fact that Jesus lived. We focus on the life and teachings of Jesus as the perfect model for his followers, just so we look a little bit more like Jesus does every single year. On Good Friday, we walk through the fact that Jesus died. We go through the torture of Jesus' death, but we never forget the reason that he died is so that he could pay a debt of sin that we could not pay on our own. And then on Easter weekend, we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose, and in beating death, he secured life for all of those who believe in his name. In the past couple of weeks, we've added another piece to it, which is the fact that we acknowledge that Jesus left. I mean, after Jesus rose, he left, but he didn't just leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower the first church and to keep the power of God moving here on earth. And over the last eight years, every single year, we've covered those foundational truths, but there's always been one hanging on the end that I just didn't really want to talk about. I didn't really want to talk about it because the reality is people just get weird when it comes to this topic. The little phrase is, Jesus is coming again. And if it was put up for a vote, I would vote that he would come back right now so we didn't have to teach this. We could just experience and get out of here. Anybody with me? I mean, that would be cool, right? All right? But people just get weird when it comes to this topic. I mean, if you need proof, we just lived through all the weirdness of a group of people that said May the 21st, 2011. That's the deal, right? What a glorious waste of time and energy, all right? Now there's a group of people who are stirring up this whole thing that that the Mayan calendar ends at the beginning of 2012. So that's got to be the end of the world. To those people, I have a question. Why are you basing your future on the calendar of a group of people that are extinct? Why are you doing I don't get it. I just don't get it, okay? If you turn on the TV, you find people with really big charts and scary graphics, and they use words like millennium, rapture, and they're trying to guess who really is the Antichrist. I mean, is it Oprah or Lady Gaga? That's who they're trying to figure out, all right? I told you I was going to tick some people off in this series, all right? A couple of years ago, the Left Behind series, the series of books, they just exploded off the shelves because there's just something inside of people that's fascinated with what's coming next. Well, the church has a term for what's coming next. It's called eschatology, okay? So there's a big word for you. Now you can say we were really deep this weekend, all right? Eschatology is this. It's the branch of theology or biblical exegesis, which just means how you put Scripture together, concerned with the end of the world. And as we begin this study of eschatology, I just want to make you some promises, okay? Promise number one, I'm not going to do anything weird or freak you out, okay? In fact, this is an amazing series to invite your friends to. 
okay? Just encourage you to be inviters and includers during this particular series. We're not going to hand out gas masks. We're not going to make big charts. We're not going to declare on Canada because we believe they're Gog and Magog. If you don't know what that is, that's probably okay, all right? We're not going to huddle in an upper room and wait for the rapture. We're not even going to pick an antichrist over the next six weeks, just so you know, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to the words of Jesus because he's the one who's sponsoring the comeback. He's the one who's actually coming back. We're going to touch a little on Revelation, a little on Daniel, but for the most part, we're going to focus on the actual words of Jesus from the Gospels. And let me tell you why. It's because Revelation tells us we're supposed to. Okay? So I know you, I told you, hey, we're not, going to, we're not going to go into Revelation at all. Well, I'm going to dance on the edge of that. You know, We're going to read this, and it doesn't really count because it's a prologue. And the truth is, none of you have ever read a prologue in any other book that you've read, so it doesn't count. All right? But here it comes. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The revelation from Jesus Christ. Most translations say the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's just stop right there. This means this. This whole series is going to be about Jesus, of Jesus, from Jesus. Jesus is on top, Jesus below, Jesus on both sides. It's for Jesus. It revolves around Jesus. We've got to keep Jesus in the middle of it because ultimately here's what you need to know. Revelation 19 says Jesus is coming back on a big white horse with a big sword coming out of his mouth. He's got a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's all you need to know about the end times. In the end, Jesus wins and the bride wears white. That's all you need to know. That's the best part of it. But it says the revelation from Jesus Christ and then it goes on. It says, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, here it comes again, the word of God and the testimony of who? Jesus Christ. Not the testimony of a strange guy on the television. Not the testimony of somebody with an opinion about when they think Jesus is coming back. It's the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it. Because the time is near. Here's one of my goals for the series. That you would become so fascinated with this topic that you'd actually read the last book of your Bible. I want you to read Revelation. I'm not going to get through the whole thing. We're just going to touch little pieces all over the place. I want you to actually read it because the Bible says if you do, you will be blessed. And I've never met anybody that didn't want some kind of blessing from God. So if you want a blessing, start reading, all right? I'm going to make a bold statement as we begin this because I'm so tired of people spending hours and hours and hours trying to figure out the nuances of the end times and sinning because their study of the end times never ever takes them next door to talk to their neighbor about Jesus. And that is a sin, to withhold that information. Here's my personal declaration, okay? Here it comes. Eschatology without Jesus is information without transformation. Let me say it again. Eschatology without Jesus is information without transformation. Unless Jesus remains as the central and primary focus of your understanding about what is to come, the only thing you're going to learn in the next six or seven weeks is a bunch of Bible trivia that nobody cares about anyway. And we want to go deeper than that. All right? So with that being said, Jesus firmly in the middle of our our discussion. 
and the cross smack dab in the center of the room, now we have an opportunity to walk into the end times. But here's what we're going to do. Before we even start, I'm going to put up the guardrails, okay? So we don't go spinning off of the edge and end up way out in the weeds somewhere. Let me give you four common approaches to eschatology that we're going to try and stay away from. Number one, common approach is this, fear. You'll hear people say it, we're all doomed. This is the guy with the sandwich board walking around downtown Seattle. The end is near, all right? My first introduction to the end times came in the form of a movie that was shown in my little Baptist church on a Sunday night. The movie was called A Thief in the Night. I know 1145, you're younger than most of the other crew. Any of you remember? Anybody experienced? Some of you have. Wow. And you're still here. That says something for you right there, okay? I still remember that movie because it freaked me out. It starts with a girl waking up and her alarm clock goes off. She walks downstairs and there's nobody there. There's a cup of coffee that's been spilled on the counter in the kitchen. There's a, a kitchen machine whirling, but there's nobody operating it. She calls out, Mom? There's no answer. She goes to the living room. There's nobody there. She walks outside, and there's an unmanned lawnmower running on her neighbor's front yard. There's an ice cream cone melting on a sidewalk. What anybody's doing eating ice cream at that time of the morning, I have no idea always freak me out, okay? All right? She goes back inside of the house. She can't find anybody. She turns on the TV and she hears that millions of people have vanished all over the earth and that she has been left behind. The movie actually wraps up with a group of people who come back to Jesus and they're martyred for their faith at the end of this thing called the tribulation. And the last scene is this huge guillotine with this massive blade on it, and they're lining these people up. And as the movie comes to this crazy crescendo, this big blade goes, whoop, and then the credits start to roll. Okay, when I saw this, I'm eight years old, okay? And I'm freaked out. Here's the craziest part. We watch the movie. My parents go out with friends. They send me home alone <laughs> with a pizza to keep me company. I mean, I'm like, is anybody coming home? Have I been left behind? Did something happen and nobody told me? I accept Jesus again and again and again and again and again. I mean, I'm freaking out. I was terrified. And unfortunately, so many people try to use the truth and the beauty of the end times to scare the literal hell out of people. That's what they're trying to do. I mean, they say this, you, you better get saved. Because if you don't, you're going to be left behind. I have no idea what fear mongers do with this verse in 1 John chapter 4. The Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's what I know. A lot of people in our world today are really afraid. They're just scared. And here's what I know. In times of great fear... People who are afraid gravitate towards people who are not. And if you are here today and have a personal relationship with the Jesus who's actually going to be coming back to take his children out of this broken world, here's the best news I have for you over the next six or seven weeks. You have absolutely nothing to be afraid of and everything to look forward to. 
And my heart for those of you who don't know Jesus or you're just checking this Christian thing out is my prayer is that fear will not motivate you, but that you'll give your heart to Jesus because you realize that everything that's coming down the pike towards us is actually rooted in God's amazing love for every single one of us. Okay, common approach number two, superiority, comes out this way. I know something you don't know. Some people get all high and mighty because they learn a bunch of new terms. Rapture, millennium, lake of fire, Laodicea. They carry their information around like it's some big secret. They can wax eloquent about the 70 weeks of Daniel and the identity of Gog and Magog. But the truth is, they just want people to think they're really, really smart. Well, the Bible has something to say about that attitude to make sure that we don't get all arrogant about this stuff. The Bible says this in Philippians 2. Do nothing... Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't even pursue the amazing part of our future so that you think you're going to be bigger than everybody else or just so you can freak people out. I mean, there is nothing wrong with learning about the end times. Just make sure we're doing it for the right reason. And what is not a right reason is arrogance. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say this. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So as we walk through this, let's stay as low as we possibly can. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want God to oppose me as I learn more about him coming back. Okay, common approach number three is denial. Some people just flat out deny it. It's like, it's not real. We're good. Some people say, you know, God's bluffing. Christians are nuts. They just choose to believe there's no validity at all to the word or to the truths of Jesus. But this is what they have to grapple with. Jesus said he was going to die, and he did. Jesus said he was going to come back to life again, and he did. Jesus said he was going to leave, but then he was going to come back again, and he will. That's the truth of Scripture. He said he was going to come back. In fact, I love this little passage. John chapter 14, Jesus gathers his closest friends, and they're a little freaked out by the fact that Jesus said he was going to die, he was going to rise again. He's going to, I mean, he started laying all of this stuff out. And this is what he says to them as they're kind of talking about what the future is going to bring to them. He says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't freak out. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, read the next four words with me. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can also be where I am. He said it right there. I will come back. Just because I believe in my heart something may not be real doesn't mean I'm right. In fact, the Bible says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So we can live in denial or we can embrace the reality of what's coming and celebrate. Here's common approach number four. It's abdication and isolation. Some people hear this, just like, I'm out of here, all right? These are the people who are buying the gas masks, building fallout shelters, or sitting on the top of a mountain in Arizona waiting for Jesus to come back, okay? 
Their answer is to re- that, that the return or their answer to the return of Jesus. Let's just circle the wagons. Let's protect ourselves. Count the days down and pray that it actually happens sooner than later. And the Bible has a word and a response to those people as well. The Bible says if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't get to abdicate and isolate. You don't get to step out. In fact, it says you need to engage. The Bible says we as the followers of God are to actually be working at the mission that we just learned about in the simple series. We're not to abdicate and isolate. We're to engage and to be bold. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to tell a story that we're going to touch on in a couple weeks. It's a story of a master who has a bunch of servants that work in his house. And one day the master decides he's going to go away for a little while. And he puts the servants in charge. He says, I want you to take care of business while I'm gone. But one of these days, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, here's what I want. I want you to be busy doing what I told you to do. Here's what the scripture says from that very story. Matthew 24 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. We just learned what we're supposed to be busy doing. We're supposed to be busy being bold. Speaking the name of Jesus into regular, ordinary conversations with people. We're to be bold in sharing the information that we have about the fact that if Jesus can save us, he can save anybody. We're to be those people who don't buy the lie that I'm just going to walk the walk until somebody asks me a very profound spiritual question. We're supposed to be the people who boldly step up and go where no one has ever gone before and share this amazing message that Jesus lived, and Jesus died, and Jesus rose, and Jesus left, and Jesus is coming back. There's four very unhealthy approaches to what we're going to be talking about. Well, if those are the unhealthy ones, it would make sense. We better talk about a healthy approach to eschatology. I would sum it up in these two words. This is a blank in your outline. I believe a healthy approach is this. It's loving urgency. Loving urgency. Here's the deal, okay? Jesus is coming back. Who have you told? Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Jesus is coming back with an expectation. We're going to be saying this message, not to scare people, but because we actually love people. Jesus is coming back, and because it could be today, what are we waiting for? Why are we withholding anything when we have the key to someone's eternity within our grasp and understanding? I mean, just think about this for a second. If you had the cure to the common cold, and you withheld it from humanity... How could you call yourself loving? If you had the cure to cancer, you knew how to cure cancer, but you decided to withhold that from all of humanity just because. How could you claim to be a loving human being? Well, Christians, let me just get all up in your business right now. You have been given the cure to the common sin and the cure to a Christless eternity God's entrusted that to you. How can you call yourself a loving follower of God if you take that information and you withhold it from the people that God's placed in your life? Uh Uh-oh. Let's not call ourselves loving if we're willing to withhold that from somebody who desperately needs Jesus. 
We hold in our hands the cure to the common sin. And maybe we all need to be reminded just what God did for us in the moment when we got saved. The Bible says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Jesus is saying this, as we start talking about the future, The day that we dream of when God comes and He takes His children out of this broken existence and we get to spend eternity with Him, He wants us to remember something. He wants us to remember when we heard the message that Jesus was and is and is to come. That Jesus came as a baby of all things. That Jesus lived a perfect life. That that Jesus died on a cross to pay a debt that none of us could pay that Jesus rose again after he died to beat death once and for all so that I didn't ever have to fight with death. That he stayed for a while, that he left, but then he sent the Holy Spirit, but ultimately that he's coming back again and we need to be ready. I am so thankful that Jesus waited long enough for me to make that decision. Anybody else? I'm just so glad that he didn't put the deadline in the early 90s. I'm really thankful for that. One of the most profound uh, dramas I've ever seen, I saw at a church conference, it lasted about 37 seconds from beginning to end. An older gentleman brought a big white chair out from the side and he just put it in the center of the stage He had kind of a thinning white beard and he just sat down in the chair and he kind of slumped down and rubbed his face with with his hand. He just had kind of a concerned look on his face, but he didn't say a word. After what seemed like an eternity, a young guy came on from the same side and he just came and stood beside the chair. Waited for a little while and then said this. Hey, Dad. Could I go and get them today? Please? And it got really, really quiet. And what seemed like forever. Till the dad said through tears, Not yet, Jesus. Just waiting for one more. I'm so glad he waited for me. When I was out doing my thing, making my own way, trying to fill that hole in the bottom of my soul, I'm so glad that God was gracious and compassionate and patient. How about you? Well, you know... um, Have you ever thought about the fact that maybe the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's waiting for you? Because I've been seeing people all weekend long who've never met Jesus before step across that line of faith 
because they just want to be ready. Not because they're freaked out or afraid, but because they just finally understood something. That the reason Jesus did all this is because he loves us. And to me, it would be spiritual malpractice to start this series without giving you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus today so that you can be ready for whatever comes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. We're not going to do anything weird or strange. But this is a moment when you can make this decision. Let's pray together right now, church. Father God, I, uh, I thank you for this moment right now. I thank you that, that those of us who know Jesus have nothing to fear about what's coming because you're right in the middle of it. But Lord, I pray right now for those who may be here who've never had a relationship with Jesus and I pray that love would invade their heart right this second. With every head bowed, nobody moving around, no distractions. I'd love to talk to those of you in the room who just feel lost. I remember that. You feel alone because you've been living life for yourself and, and you just realize how unbelievably empty it is. And today, Jesus wants you to know that He came to live for you. That He came to die for you. That He came to to rise again and beat death for you. And in this moment, you can give your heart to Him. So if you've never accepted Christ, I'm going to invite you just to pray this simple prayer in your heart with me right now. Jesus, I, I don't want to live afraid anymore. I don't want to live for myself anymore, so right now, I, I'm going to believe that you are exactly who you said you were. I ask right now in Jesus' name that you would forgive me and set me free. Father, I pray that, that right now that you would help and assist me in this moment. Father, I pray that, that you would wash me as white as snow. Father, I pray that I could experience forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. So Lord, would you wash me clean right now in this moment? Lord, I give you all of my mistakes and everything I've ever done wrong. And I pray that you'd wash me white as snow right this second. And Lord, because you're willing to take my past, I want to give you my future. From this day forward, I will live with you, for you. Whatever happens in this world, I want to live every day for the rest of my life for you and for you alone. Lord, would you give my life purpose? Would you give my life hope? I receive your forgiveness. I give you my life. And I thank you that I can love you because you first loved me. Every head bowed. If you prayed that prayer right now, 
you've been forgiven and set free. And your future is secure. And your life has meaning. And you can live every day for the rest of your life, not just for you, but for Jesus. And I promised I wasn't going to do anything weird. I want to keep that promise. But I'd love to pray for you this week. If you made that decision or prayed that prayer for the first time today, would you just stick your hand up in the air so I can see it? Just put your hand straight up. God bless you and you and you. And God bless you and you and both of you. And God bless you right there. God bless you and you. God bless you. Father, thank you that you waited for these who've just given their lives to you. Thank you that you are patient and gracious and compassionate. God, thank you for waiting for me and for these today. Father, I pray that they would live every day for the rest of their life for you. We give you honor and praise for what it is that you're doing here in our church. Lord, as we look to the future in the coming days, may we see Jesus and Jesus alone. And we celebrate the fact that you're still saving and still delivering and still forgiving and still washing as white as snow. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.